Thank you. Welcome to Schmears the Deal. I'm Nick Feynman here with Jake Seawalk. Jake, where are we today? We are at Zucker's in Tribeca. We are ha- pretty happy to Very be here. Very happy to be say. here. We have a feast in front of us. We really do. Uh, and on today's show, we're going to talk to the owners of Zucker's Bagels, which we are really excited about, Matt Pomerantz and Dan Pace. We are going to have our recurring segment, Mention Schmuck of the Week, which will be a lot of fun this week. A review of Mad Max up uh, right before the Oscars. I'm going to very quickly zoom through Room in Brooklyn also. Uh, we made a little bit of a <laughs> count, counting error <laughs> on that one. We're good with podcasts, less good with... I would say terrible with numbers. <laughs> then we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into a campaign topic, which we don't always touch, but is campaign spending pointless at this point through the eyes of the Jeb Bush campaign? Yeah. A little bit. And then we'll have a final toast and we'll be out of here. But first, we're going to be talking to Matt Pomerantz and Dan Pace who are the owners of Zucker's Bagels. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. And Dan? Hey, everybody. How are you? Matt, you just made this. Do you want to explain the first bagel we are trying today? Okay. So the first bagel is just a very simple, it's just a plain hand-rolled bagel, just a plain old schmear of, uh, of our own cream cheese and uh, some pastrami salmon, uh, and it's the pastrami salmon, the David Burke recipe. And so it's w- really, what sets really that apart? That's really an amazing part. It's just he has his own proprietary um, seasonings that he's used uh, for his uh, for his interpretation of a, a pastrami salmon. And and Jake, and, uh, Jake, what do you think? It's just a lot better than what you normally really, really would think of. A lot of people wouldn't good. even think of it as pastrami salmon. Just it's just a really flavorful, spicy type of. That's uh, what I was going to say. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Especially with the plain, you don't need any specialty cream cheese or anything exactly. other with that. Yeah. So you guys have a pretty interesting story, a little bit of a transition, something different from what we've heard of other bagel owners in the business. So just a little background. How did you guys get into this business? Maybe, I guess, Matt, start with you because you were in the business first and what the transition sort of was like. Sure. So um, I started uh, in accounting. I graduated from college, started an accounting firm, worked uh, my way into the, the, the fin- securities industry, spent about 17 years uh, in the securities industry. I was born in Brooklyn, grew up in uh, Brooklyn and Staten Island, worked in food in my younger years, uh, whether it was in a restaurant or a uh, or Carvel. In my teen years, I worked at uh, up in the Catskills uh, at uh, an, an old and famous uh Borscht Belt Hotel called the Browns. It was a, it was actually Jerry Lewis's. The tagline was it's Jerry <laughs> Lewis's favorite resort, and he used to perform there every summer. I was a, a busboy there, and in 1995, myself and my brother decided to uh, get into the bagel business. And you know, back then, uh, bagels were you know there wasn't a uh, there wasn't really a high end or, or sort of an artisan. Um, approach to the bagel business it was you know your your sort of deli slash uh you know your delicatessen that baked bagels in the back so we decided hey we want to we want to hand we want to hand you know make hand rolled handmade bagels artisanal bagels we want to serve the best coffee we want to use the best ingredients we want to make it a, a an experience again making that transition what what did you find to be the most difficult stage I mean, you know, I mean, as a business owner, it's, you know, you go from, uh, you have to, you don't make money, you know, it's a, it's a new business. So you're taking a, you know, like any new business, you're taking a risk. It's a business that we really didn't know that much about and it's, it's New York city. So, 
you know, any anything that you do in New York is, is usually a higher risk venture than right. you know than outside of the city. So it was it was um, it was definitely um, you know uh, it took a while to get our concept down to to learn what works and what doesn't work. And, and that that was Murray's Bagels originally. And that was right? originally Murray's. Oh, it still is Murray's and Bagels. It still is Murray's. How did and you we mentioned this I guess a little before the interview, but how did growing up in New York, your story with your family and being connected to the Lower East Side, how did that sort of connect you to this business even before you were a part of it? Well, um, I mean, the, inspir the inspiration, that had a lot to do with the inspiration for opening up a, a bagel shop. Um, my dad, whose first name was Murray, uh, um, was in the what ladies' clothing business, or what we called our, you know, what we called it back then was the Schmata business. And it really was the Schmata business because our business was on the Lower East Side. It mm -hmm. was... Um, Back then, where on the Lower East Side? It was on um, Rivington and Ludlow. And I live at Rivington and Norfolk. Yeah, the na actually, the building that we were in is now Toys and Babeland. So that was that <laughs> I know was exactly where that is. So that so it used to be Toys and Babeland, long Jewish tradition. That's, that's right. That's right. We we tra unfortunately we didn't tra my, my dad would have been much better off if he transitioned into that business. <laughs> it didn't work out. <laughs> so anyway, um, growing up. You know, in the '60s, '70s, uh, you know, '80s on the Lower East Side, or you know, you know, being involved with my dad's business or family business, we grew up with all the great old, you know, Lower East Side restaurant, you know, dairy restaurants like Ratner's and the Garden, uh, the Garden uh, Cafe. Um, there was also different, you know, more than one infamous smoked fish place. There was the the, mar the Essex Market back then. There was a place called Scotty's. Um, there were, there, you know, it was just a, there was a, you know, there was just so many choices. There were other delicatessens also, other than Katz's. We were talking about before, there was a place called Schmolka Bernstein's, which was a, a kosher <laughs> deli slash, slash kosher, kosher Chinese Probably Italian, just a... <laughs> owned by Italian. No, no, it wasn't owned by Italian. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, so, so, you know, we grew up, you know, I grew up in that environment, and uh, I grew up where, you know, on a Sunday or any night during the week, my dad could be bringing home bagels or deli or, you know, so it was, it was you know, that was our soul food. That so was our, our comfort food in our house. So when you set out to get into the bagel business, to set yourself apart from all of those, wh what you just were talking about, wh what are you doing here to set yourself apart from those? Well, well I think we, we wanted to make it, I think for a long time, bagels lost their tradition. They weren't, uh, they weren't being made the right way because you know, they were being mass produced they were mass produced they were being machine made ingredients were were you know were cheaper we're, we we weren't using the, the you know right. the same quality we were using uh, too much sugar cheaper flours and and again you know remember bagels were not this you know uh, the they were never really uh, an expensive product but i think the or product an, itself just lost product. its it, yeah it wasn't an art artisanal product 50 years ago, but I think it just—I I just think it lost its original, you know, roots or original the original um, techniques to make it were, were sort of washed out over the years. I think, I think a lot of chains started making bagels, and it just there was just no place in New York other than, um, you know, in like let's say H and H. So we wanted to open up something that one was was real, authentic, right. amazing quality. Um, also, we wanted to make it not just a place to go pick up a dozen bagels or a deli. We also wanted it to be a place where you, you went and to hang out 
you know, to have a coffee, to, to you know, see what was going, read the newspaper on a Sunday morning, meet, meet friends. Uh, we wanted a place, you know, we wanted to also be a hang. Dan, how did you get involved, if you don't, if you don't mind me asking? Maddie and I uh, got out of college at the same time, so we worked at the same accounting firm together. So, you know, you're 21 in the city, which uh, the two of you look like uh, you've experienced that somewhat recently. <laughs> a little yeah. older than that, but, so but we, yes. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're good drinking buddies in the city, and uh, we started out working together. Uh, we both ended up going to uh, separate organizations. They both ended up uh, back working uh, for the same company, on uh, same firm on Wall Street. Uh, we both spent a lot of time on the Upper West Side, both spent a lot of time down here in Tribeca, and Maddie's, Maddie's still here. I, uh, was over, I was abroad working for a number of years and came back, and Maddie and I were sitting down one day and having lunch, and uh, he was looking to expand the business, and... You know, I looked at it, and I was very impressed that the business he created was a, was a high-quality business, both product and service, uh, and everything you just mentioned about the store. So and I so thought it was very interesting to uh, to look at that and kind of go from a quality product to being a, a successful small businessman to maybe, maybe right. together being successful, you know, mid-sized businessman. So you guys you guys set up then left Murray. You left Murray's, and we now we have Zucker's where we are where we are today. Well, Murray still exists, but right. you so walked we, away. So right, we still we still own Murray's Bagels in Chelsea, but the um, the company that we're growing and expanding, we, we recently um, started working on a, a new location on, on Columbus Avenue between 72nd and 73rd. That's going to be uh, our Zucker's uh, brand, and um, you know, great quality. It's fantastic quality. Where you know this is you know we're at Zucker's right now. Um, Again, all the the same, you know, principles. It's going to be an incredible, a really beautiful shop. I mean, the one thing, you know, we also try to do is we try to, you know, build out really nice uh, shops that people also want to spend time in. So it's not just about, you know, the food is great, and we also try to make it a, gr- a great, uh, a great space. Speaking of quality and speaking of food, um, where are you guys getting your fish and your uh, schmear from? Um, most of our fish is from Acme over in uh, Williamsburg. I usually purchase fish um, throughout the week. We'll order pretty much every single day, depending on business and uh, you know the, the time of the year. But we have we, we, we do tremendous amount of volume. Um, we're able to buy 12 to 14 different varieties or types of salmon and, and um, other smoked fish. So we're, we're, we have a great selection for a bagel what's, shop. What's your favorite one here? It's, it's always different. It depends on my, uh, the mood. my mood. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love so just a simple, you know, simple Scottish salmon um, on just a, either a plain schmear or I, I hate to say it sometimes, like a jalapeno cream cheese that we make here. That just Like you said, your mood depends. It, it just adds a little, a little bit to it, and uh, it, I don't have to put a lot of stuff on it. I like, I like the simplicity of just uh, you know, great, simple products. And, um, but I, lo- I love um, a good piece of, uh, of sable. And, and again, the key with, uh, the key with our product is everything is so fresh. I mean, we're, we're, we're buying it. We're having it delivered that day. It's being sliced and well, sold you, you that day. Well, you literally made the bagels we were tasting behind yeah. the counter, <laughs> which is uh, pretty cool. We wish we had gotten a picture of it, but I guess we'll, we can paint, paint a little bit. What, what do you guys think so far? How, they're the great. Well, they're both gone. Both okay. halves are gone. So you like, yeah? And what do you think of the whitefish? The, I mean, the whitefish was amazing. Yeah. And we'll, we'll dig into that in our good, next good. segment. Yeah. No, we'll, no, we, we, we'll go we, down we, that road a little we, bit more. We take a lot of pride in, in just the, 
the simplicity, the quality and simplicity of what we do. So you were talking about specifically what types of smoked salmon you want. We talk a decent amount on this podcast about the ratio, about the bagel crunch with the creamy schmear and the fish. What is the right ratio to you, do you think? Or I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but also what is the most important part of that equation? Okay, now you, you guys are, are really putting me on the spot. because uh, I know it's tough. Because this morning... My, my kids gr- live on, most kids, you know, grow up with, like, Oscar Mayer bologna, or <laughs> my kids think uh, <laughs> David Burke uh, pastrami salmon that's ba- is, that's baseline. is bologna. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, like, the baseline in my family. So I hate to say it this morning, and, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, shed a few pounds. So I had a half a bagel with a very thin schmear and just one layer, one thin slice of the David Burke salmon. And that was like perfection so for me. So you know, it all, it, it all depends on uh, you know the day of the week. You know, on a Saturday morning, when you're feeling good and you want to just hang out, you know, at at Zucker's and, and take your time and and you know, meet friends. You get a nice, big, full you know full sized uh, traditional. Or during the week, you go a little on the lighter side just to you know enjoy the uh, the product. Dan, how about you? What's your what's your go-to bagel order? Oh, that's a good question. I, I probably have a couple, but uh, I enjoy the uh, we have a, a very light jalapeno cream cheese. You know, it's got the jalapenos in it, but it really just right. kind of tickles your tongue a little bit. You do the jalapenos with the Scottish salmon. It's got a very nice smoke on it. It's it's champion. I love it. You know, the flip side is the the uh, I, I think our guys do a great job. All our spreads are made in house, but I love our whitefish salad. And the whitefish salad, again, simplicity, right? Um, just like Maddie said, but the whitefish with a nice, you know, slice of a beefsteak tomato. You know, we use uh, you know either Lucky's or Eli and Ally's tomatoes, so they're always good. We saw but a huge, we saw a huge box of tomatoes. Yeah, there, we so go through so, so many really tomatoes; cool. it's ungodly, it's unbelievable. That and a hundred-pound batch of bagel yeah. dough. Which but these, will, I got to tell you, these tomatoes, these are you're going to find these at John George. I mean, not many bagel shops are going to spend that kind of money, but right. everybody knows. When you get a sandwich with a bad tomato, it ruins the sandwich. Right. But if you get a nice juicy slice of tomato with the just the, the light saltiness of whitefish out, a champion. I love it. My wife is in love with it. My daughter, who's nine years old, she is a baked salmon salad girl. So <laughs> if I come home, if we're at a baked salmon salad, dad's in trouble. <laughs> so baked salmon salad on a bagel, that's her. So everybody's got their, their unique. Uh, so your kids never ate at McDonald's or at a... <laughs> Believe it, it or not, my kids have a joke, my yeah. kids have never eaten at McDonald's. Well, <laughs> I was the same way growing up. Never, yeah. never ate at McDonald's. Yeah, you know, and everything they're exposed to now through the shop, they probably never will. Right. Well, you that's trust you start me, eating high thing, quality food. Just, there's run. no reason to go back. So I guess so. We asked you, I guess, some of your favorite orders. Is there ever something when you guys are in the shop, you hear someone order just a horrible combination of things, and you just can't believe they are putting that together? Is it? Yeah. So. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this. My brother-in-law, Doyle, he gets, like, egg salad with scallion cream. And, he, and we call it the Doyle. We, 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 <laughs> he, li- he lives up in Vancouver. We try to make him feel good that it's this amazing the, sandwich. The and I'm going to tell him to check this out when, you, when this goes <laughs> live. But we call it the Doyle. It's not a good sandwich. But, you know, I love my brother So what bro- is it? It's egg salad and scallion? I love my brother-in-law, so we, we, you know, we, we, we let him know that it's uh, a good sandwich. The Doyle so sounds like, it's like a bully, or it's like you know what he's he's kind of a he can get away with whatever he wants. So <laughs> we we let him we let him do it. We let him go with it. Well, uh, 
really quickly before we go, and then we'll wrap up the segment, tell us a little bit about the new location. You mentioned it, but it's yeah. going to be on the Upper West Side, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a bu- it's a beautiful. Old, it used to be called the Gotham Deli, Dan, Gotham Deli yeah. or Gotham Market. It's a it's in an old pre-war building where we have to go through the landmarks process, so it's going to take a little while, but. Um, we're restoring this beautiful old tin ceiling. We're restoring these beautiful 10-foot uh, iron columns. Um, we hired this amazing uh, architect, really talented. We're having, um, we're using a, a very good friend of ours, um, David Bender, who's a, a, an artist, is doing a mural for us. He's over in Bushwick. And all, and, uh, and all, all the food will be, the, it's the all that food simple is quality that we're, simple, that we're tasting high today. quality. It's, it's going to be, you know, like, you know, great coffee. We do La Colombe here. Um, it's all the, the the things that have made us, yeah, same, you know, same strong. as a downtown shop. I mean, everything's made in house. Every store is a manufacturing plant. You know, you don't want to do it any other way because you want to present the best product you can. It's a beautiful shop. All the stuff was boarded up behind uh, drywall. Some gorgeous architectural elements up there. And you know, Maddie and I, we both spent time on the Upper West Side out of college, and both spent a lot of time down here in Tribeca. So, very excited about going back up to the uh, the neighborhoods that we actually first moved into New York to. And when does the shop open? When uh, we're shooting for the fall. Okay. Year. Well, maybe I guess maybe we'll come by one of the first couple of weeks if you guys are okay with that. You guys are invited to and the opening party. That's I guess going to do it for this segment. Thank you guys so much for sitting down and talking to us and and for the great food. Uh, we will be back with Mention Schmuck of the Week and our review of Mad Max. This is Shmears the Deal. No, you can't say, like, the F word. You can't say that on Special Victims Unit. But people walk around on SVU going, like, looks like the victim had anal contusions. (laughs) Yo, looks like we found semen and fecal matter in the victim's ear canal. (laughs) Those are two real things that I heard on Law & Order SVU at 3 in the afternoon. (laughs) Both spoken by Ice-T. Welcome back to Schmears the Deal. I'm Jake Siwa. He's Nick Feynman. I am. We're at West Broadway and Chambers Street at in Zucker's. Tribeca at Zucker's Bagels. We're we are, currently we're at the counter, like sort of counter area. It's yeah. Like so you walk in, area. you walk in off of Chambers. We were so enthralled with owners Matt and Dan in the first, the first segment. We didn't even get a chance to describe yeah. like exactly where we are. So you walk in and it's a long, narrow store, and we're at the front counter looking out onto Chambers Street, the hustle yep. and bustle starting to become a I guess more of an after school crowd there yeah and this is I would say a perfect radio or podcast day it's overcast it looks like you should be inside but it's not horrible out I'm, I'm in a good mood I'm a big fan of it we are trying the traditional right now it's the amazing. Zucker's traditional yeah, it's amazingly good it's really good so it's really just smoked salmon really on everything silky bagel. smooth salmon not where do, too where salty do you ha- where do you have this like where do takes some thinking for me. I have it at, it's really good, but I have it at, I have it at four, I think. Personally. I can't give some, a, re- I have to review. Okay, all right, and we'll, we'll uh, we, we will post, post it on we'll schmearsadeal.com. We'll have our updated top list, and we'll place Zuckers in there. But now it is time for our recurring segment, Mensch and Schmuck of the Week. Mensch. Mensch. I think a Mensch is like a superhero. Those were the days when I was just a poor schmuck. They're looking at him like, what a schmuck. So, uh, Nick, you've got Mensch this week. I do have Mensch this week. Lead us off. So my Mensch this week comes to us through England. 
which is interesting. Interesting. A, a, man, for, a foreign mensch. A foreign mensch. Uh, a man who started a British man named Sam Smith is our mensch this week. I know Sam Smith. Well, Different Sam Smith, not the Also not the a British guy. Also a British guy. This guy's a little less sad. Well, maybe he's sad now. He is the mensch because he let his friends convince him to do one of the dumbest things I've heard in a while, which is they convinced him drunkenly to change his name legally to Bacon Double Cheeseburger. So I think that makes him a schmuck, man. No, I think it makes him a mensch. Here's why. He followed his passion. He followed what he loves, and he's rolling with it. And he's not cha- – the reason why it makes him a mensch is it, it makes him a mensch is he's not changing it. He's making it. He's living with it. He's going with it. He said – and the quote is his mom is – I just think that makes him a proud schmuck. His mom hates it, but his dad is into it. I think that makes him a mensch. But why don't you give us our schmuck, then? Well, so mine is also a little bit layered as well. <laughs> the dodo bird. I don't know how layered that was. No, it's – Oh, okay. It's not, well, <laughs> we're talking about it in the world of menches and schmucks. We're not talking about, like, serious, complicated <laughs> issues here. Um, mine, the dodo bird, which uh, went extinct or was last seen in 1662. Was I was bel- going to say, I think that's, a, that's been a schmuck. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, outdated was, schmuck. Was quote. believed to have been uh, literally, quite literally, too dumb to survive. <laughs> this week, however, um, based on an analysis of dodo bird skeletons. Sure. Um Scientists have now have reason to believe that they were significantly more intelligent oh, really? than they were uh, once thought to be. So, are the scientists the, the schmucks? The scientists are the schmucks. <laughs> they how dare they? If put that dodo, on the dodo birds bird. were able to, they would be uh, suing for defamation. You don't uh, put that on me, Ricky. So, oh wow! Oh my goodness! Thank you so Matt's much. Matt's just Matt. come back with cookies and some. Uh, strudel. Oh man, wow. we're gonna be we're gonna like that. Right, well, that's gonna be our third segment. Yeah. That was really, really nice of them. Treatment Zuckers has been pretty great. It's been great. All right, so we got to go through three movies. Well, we're going to talk quickly. about the one we planned. To, do you want to explain why we're going through three this yeah, week? Yeah, I'll explain. It's because, spoiler, we're dumb. Well, I'd say we're schmucks. Yeah. I th- we yeah, could be I, the, we schmucks, could be the, the week. schmucks this week. It could be us. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's a so sad, sad day. we were planning on doing one uh, <laughs> Best Picture nominee per week leading up to the Oscars. When we really started this podcast. We, last, th- on Monday, we have a, like a production phone call and. Uh, we decided that this week we were going to uh, be reviewing Mad Max. And then this <laughs> this morning I realized that we still, with the Oscars on Sunday, we still just neglected to get to Room wow. or Brooklyn. And I really enjoyed both of those movies. But we'll talk about Mad Max. Well, let's talk about Mad Max because that's what we were planning to talk yeah. about. I actually, full disclosure, I haven't seen Room or Brooklyn. Jake is a bigger... I have. I can zip through them so in a he'll, minute. He'll zip through them in the end. But let's start with Mad Max. Jake, what did you think? I personally love this movie, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. I think it's a little ridiculous. It's nominated for Best Picture, to be totally honest. Why? I mean, it's 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 a great movie. Why don't you give a quick synopsis of the movie itself? Honestly, that's the problem. Is that I don't really think that there like I don't really think you can give a proper synopsis. Right. It's honestly a two-hour car chase, or not even like ninety-five minutes. It's just a car chase. Um, yeah, with the it's well, it is a group of women trying right. trying to escape a tyrant is the boiled down version. And they're driving away in cars, and he's behind them. Yeah, and then they <laughs> find out where they're trying to go. I guess be, it's been out long enough. They're trying to they find out where they're trying to go it doesn't exist, so they turn around and they race back they the other direction. Back. Yep, that's it. That's the whole movie. It takes place on one. Um, here's the thing: is I I think that it was extremely good at accomplishing what it set out to accomplish was to. Um, Deliver a very simple, um, beautiful, 
well choreographed action movie. Right. And I think that it um, it did that almost perfectly. Uh, and I thought it was a great movie in that regard. It was exhilarating. You can't you can't argue that. It was, but to nominate something for best picture just because it executes its mission isn't right. I I don't think. There's, do you think you're on? Do you think you're on? Just to push back a little bit, do you think you're on your writer's high horse? A I bit? don't. I really don't. I think that. I don't because, know if you are. I'm just, because I'm just simultaneously curious. I advocate for movies that are getting less attention, as I'm about to. Uh, With Room, which you love. We'll get yeah. to that. But <laughs> Well, first of all, I knew you were going to make fun of me because Tom Hardy's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I'm just going to get that out of the way. Uh, it, for those of you who haven't listened before, uh, Jake thinks I think any movie with Tom Hardy is you an do. incredible you movie. You do. It's a fact. <laughs> Maybe he's just a good actor. Whether Maybe or not it's correlation actor. or causative. <laughs> The fact still remains that you love every movie with Tom Hardy. <laughs> it's pretty, actually pretty true. I will say I didn't think he was that good in this movie, which is it's not really his point. He's just an action star. I, I did think Charlize Theron was amazing, personally. Uh, listen, it's a good movie. That's I'm not going to argue you on that. But it should be. It's not a best think picture. It's, a best pi- it's crazy to nominate for best picture. Can I run through some? Well, it's going to win in the Oscars talk. It's going to win special effects. It's going to win. And it should. It's not going to win cinematography, right? Because no, it has no chance. The Revenant. The Revenant will win. It's crazy cinematography movie. I will say I thought it was amazing how interesting they made such a simple plot. And I think that's as much of an argument for it to be best picture well, as I know. I, but it, that's not it, though. It's not it's the plot that's interesting. It's the action that's interesting. Right. But do you think this movie got to a best picture nod because expectations were so low originally that there was such a... Almost like no. rabbit out I of the hat. I think that thing. there's a few reasons. One, uh, they wanted to nominate a George Miller movie. Uh, two, they wanted to nominate something. I'm not going to go down that road. Um, <laughs> I just think that there are a lot of political reasons why it'd be nominated and not necessarily. And, don't so and again, it's a good movie and it executes very well on what it sets out to accomplish. But that's not necessarily. Look at a movie like uh, The Witch that just came out, which is a very critically acclaimed. We just we um, just got a shout out to The Witch uh, from the people inside of Zucker's. They're saying it's great, exactly, and it's a like a very well executed horror film. Right. It's not a Best Picture nominee. It's a good just movie. because it, well, just because something sets out to execute what it was supposed to do doesn't make it. A, b- a best picture. Haven't we? We contender. this has come up. I guess I bring it up every best picture conversation. But what? Where does enjoyability fit into the best picture? Because to Hi, me, but there's but that, that's not the only thing in the equation, right? Like there's there's almost negligible acting in in Mad Max. It's almost it's all stunt of, choreographing. Yeah, it's sort of a which is awesome. There's there's no like the the writing and development of it is. There was no script. No, there was literally never right. a script, um, and there's n- really no discernible plot line other than there's. N- it's literally right. nothing more than what you said, and that is in it's no traveling on a no road. way a best picture. Wow, passionate. Well, um, and l- don't let me say. Can I like can I just talk about the editing really quickly? Because I thought the editing was really really cool. Yeah. This movie. So a couple of things. So. The movie, basically, the entire movie is is messed with, which is really interesting visually to me. 
and it's going to win sound and effect and all that. But basically what they did is they, they filmed the movie. It took them months to watch all the footage. It was years in the making. They put it all together, and then they every shot that you could tell too much of what was going on, they sped up, and every shot where you couldn't tell quite what was going on, they slowed down enough so you could sort of get an idea. And as a result, it's sort of like this almost like dream state action it movie. Is. That it really is. That actually... I, Best picture or not best picture, it's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful the, movie. The other really cool thing is the night awesome scenes. Action. The night scenes were all shot during the day, and they just messed with the footage to make it look good. Yeah. I will just to wrap up this part so we can get to the other ones. Great movie. I, I want One of my one of my friends at work thinks this movie is going to win best picture. I've told him a million times he's crazy. George Miller Jason, has a has an actual chance of winning win, best director. Winning best director. Well, which is which is totally different. I think that that's a much more uh, he did a great job with this credible. Movie award for him to get than this to get best picture. The thing that is shocking and terrifying, which I was reading last night, is that Tom Hardy is signed on to play four more of these. To play, yeah. that's, come on. One, yeah. one, we get it. How much How much more of this can you get? Anyway, let's move on to All the right, other so two, which you really like, Brooklyn and Room. Roll through Brooklyn and Room. I'll start with Oh, Brooklyn. wait, sorry. How, what, what number do you, do you give this? Seven. I have it at an eight, just because it was so enjoyable. I couldn't. I I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. So all right, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. I'm gonna go through very quickly. Starring Saoirse Ronan. She's a very lovely girl. Um, it's a romantic drama about it. This girl that moves to Brooklyn in the 50s from Ireland, falls in love. Classic. Classic. She goes back. To, well, she goes back to Ireland, and then she has to decide whether or not she wants to come back or not. Uh, come back to Brooklyn. No I saw explosions this. on roads? No explosions. Uh, I saw this with a, uh, a friend of ours, and she cried literally the entire movie. Sophia? Yeah. Oh, I didn't want to drop a name because <laughs> other <laughs> friends of hers listen. That is hilarious. <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> That's hilarious. Sophia um, did our logo, if you've seen the Schmears the Deal logo. So thank uh, you for that. She didn't cry over the logo. Really good movie. She lo- do you, Wait, Sophia actually loved this movie because Sophia is a very good rubric. You'd have logo. to ask her if she liked it. Um, <laughs> but she cried. She cried a lot. Yeah, All I, right. I'd give it a uh, a seven, seven okay. and a half, and then Room. Room is, I think, my favorite movie of the year. Wow, why? And it's really, one of the ones I was really, really, really to see. powerful acting draws me in. And to who, a film. who, who um, it's Brie, Brie Larson. Larson? So last year, my favorite movie of the year was Whiplash. Me too. And I th- because I thought Miles Teller and uh, J.K. Simmons were. Beyond extraordinary. That, uh, quick, and quick outlet. J.K. Simmons in that movie is the most evil character I think yeah, I've ever reminds seen. Reminds me movie. of uh, very closely of my former boss. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, Brie Larson is beyond extraordinary in this movie. And you talk all about what Leo did to prepare for this role. She went into isolation for a month to prepare for this. She did not talk to other people for a month. She sleep uh, in a horse car. The carcass? plot of the movie is uh, she sleep in a horse car. She did not. Uh, no, the not plot there. of the movie is this uh, woman, Brie Larson, and her five-year-old son have uh, a long time ago. Uh, her character was kidnapped seven years ago. She was raped and was uh, conceived a child, and they escape. And it's a really powerful, moving film. I give it a nine. Wow, so that ties with Spotlight and the Big Short. And the Big Short. So I guess really quickly, and then we then we will go to break. This weekend, who wins Best Picture? To you, uh, The Revenant is going to win Best Picture, not because I think it should, but because I think it will. 
I'm going to be so sad if The Revenant wins. I'll, I'll, I'll put up some picks on uh, Facebook. I always do. And I'm usually... Uh, How do you do? I usually do well. Uh, I yeah, lost I, my roommate in a bet last year. The, the bet is whether or not I can go perfect or not. And I won the year before that. It was perfect two years ago. Spotlight. Well, that makes me sad because I don't want The Revenant to win. I want Spotlight to win. So I'm rooting. And I'm also rooting for anyone to beat Leo because I just think it would be hilarious. It's not going to happen. But we'll see. Yeah. Brie Larson's probably going to win Best Actress. It's going to be Leo and Brie Larson. They've swept every single awards. All right. All right. We'll, well, uh, we'll be back. We'll be talking about uh, Jeb Bush or Jeb. And also specifically, does campaign spending work anymore? In 2016, this is Schmears the Deal. It all began so promisingly for this career tribute. Trained since birth to fight for Capital City, he had all the advantages of name recognition, but was saddled with the burden of name recognition. <laughs> In an election where Republican voters cheered talk of Mexican walls, this is how Jeb announced he was in. Ayúdenos en tener una campaña. And he's out. <laughs> Welcome back to Schmears the Deal. I'm Nick Feynman here with Jake Seawalk. We are at the front counter at Zucker's Bagels in Tribeca. Here we are. We are right now, we are eating for our third segment. Normally we eat dessert. We're going to save that for our extra segment. Listeners here, that comes out on Tuesdays. Extra schmear. The extra schmear. Uh, We'll save the cookies for that because we have so much food today. Right now we're munching on the whitefish salad. I did what Dan suggested. I actually took the tomato off of my traditional bagel. And I put it on top of the whitefish, and he was right. He was really right. This is awesome. Mm. I think this is this is the best thing that we ate today. Here, the whitefish specifically. Yeah. The tomatoes were very good. I didn't – excuse me. I did it separately. They were too appetizing for you. You just devoured them. Yeah, it's true. They were too, too good on the traditional. All right, let's talk about a guy who we haven't really talked about much. Jeb. Yet. Jeb. Jeb Bush out of the campaign. But we want to talk about something very specific with him. He, from the beginning, was sort of the Republican frontrunner. He did everything that traditionally makes sense. He had good people backing him. He has the family name. And he raised a ton of money. A ton of money through his super PAC right to rise. And he's gone. And so the question becomes, and Trump obviously is going to play a big part of this, where does campaign spending sit in 2016? And is it something that... Jake, you think is going to be, and I guess for myself as well, that we think is going to be permanent, or is it something that we think is right. just specific so to this? So this cycle? is what the do you first think? cycle that we've gone through, where it's really been thrown into flux, right? And the question is, well, traditionally, the people that get the most money that can advertise the most are, are really they're in it for the long haul, and this is the first time right. that, that has not been the case necessarily. And the question is, is it causation or is it correlation? Or is it is it the candidate, or is it the way the money is being spent? Uh, there are there are a lot of different layers and questions and answers to so it. So I think there are a couple of an- and I think uh, there are a couple of angles, and I think we have to start with Donald Trump and what he is so, doing. So Donald has raised the second to least amount of money. Only he's only raised more than John Kasich. Correct. And he, and that's that's not even on the Republican side. That's overall. I think there's an, um, one important thing to note is that it seems actually that Jeb and Trump are a little bit of outliers, at least right now. Trump is in the lead, has raised the least. Jeb raised a ton originally, but is already out. But the rest of the people that are on the top of fundraising, the rest of the people that are on the top of the fundraising 
charts are people that are in the lead. Hillary right. Clinton. Hillary's at the top. Bernie Sanders on the Democratic side. Bernie's. I was when I was doing the research for this. Bernie's raised significantly more money than I'd realized. He's, He's done it all through a small a donations. Lot which of, is he has raised it. Almost $100 million. But the Trump Trump is self-funding his campaign, which obviously he is one of a handful of people in the world that could do that. <laughs> Just Bloomberg. We'll get to him. <laughs> but the other, thing, the other thing that really plays a role into this is his celebrity that he had coming in. He was a celebrity and a sort of master of promotion through television, through The Apprentice. Well, right. I mean, he was able to basically advertise himself without... Exactly. Spending and the dollars. two things that have really allowed, because people pay attention to them, the media especially, and also individuals, his Twitter has allowed him to get out any free message whenever he wants, which is huge. He has a million Instagram followers. And also, he, uh, the media will give him an interview he wants at any point, which they will do for most candidates, but people actually watch his, which is the big difference. And so the question is, is this something... That's the new norm, or is it just Jake Needs a Napkin, classic? Classic. Is this the new norm, or is this just something that Donald Trump has been able to do with his celebrity and with his money base? I'm going to argue, just putting it out there, that this is Trump-specific. I agree. Advertising is definitely changing in campaigns. Well, I, I, I agree with that, but I also think that spending money the way that, that Jeb did is, is, no longer is going to be going a continuous it's going to continue. That if you spend money in the way he did, it's just going to be essentially just throwing money into a, the ocean. Well, it's also he spent a lot of that money on television advertisements. He spent well, not he spent specifically targeting you people. But look at look at campaign brands now. Campaigns very obviously a lot of the legacies still have cam- TV commercials and they have their spots. But that's not where they're spending the majority of their funding. What the super PAC? No, no, I mean. When I say they, I mean different campaigns. I mean, well, it depends. It, but Jeb, Jeb was Jeb. spending a significantly higher proportion on television ads. That's than, what I mean. That's right, what I'm and saying. that's what, yeah. I'm, ag- I'm agreeing with you. He sort of he took almost the dinosaur approach and got completely wiped he out. He tried as a to take the approach that George took. Um, it's a different time. It's a you know yeah. I mean it's almost what with, six, with sixteen years later. But well, Obama. The yeah, truth I mean, is Obama. Obama changed the game with targeting voters and using data. And I don't think that Obama together. changed the game. I just think that Obama adapted to the world that was changing. Correct. But David Plouffe, who was Obama's campaign manager in 2008, figured out how to win the election through data as much as through the traditional means. That was the first change. Now well, we're seeing I, yeah, this. Yeah, I just think that it was adopting, and I think that Jeb Correct. is a, a, just a pretty stark refusal to adopt. Um, so, w- but so what sets the question is then what set if this is just a Trump. Or I guess a really rich guy movement. What has he done that has allowed him to turn this cycle on its head? And what does it say about the country, which is sort of well? And now you're th- now you're delving more into like specific politics and like what Trump's appealing to as opposed but, to someone like Jeb. But doesn't it connect to this? Because he was able to use Jeb. If Jeb tweeted, don't care. Jeb tweeted all the time. But that's just, th- and this is just like a, th- a third layer to it. Is I think that if some a candidate like Jeb. If a candidate spent money the way Jeb did, but the candidate was a much more attractive one, it's possible that it would have worked. It would have worked. And he had a couple of big flubs in debates, and he was just a ge- like a generally unexciting person. Kind of a jalub. Kind of a jalub. Yeah. Um, a lot of that, to be honest, is painted by uh, Trump, by the Donald. But he's Donald is very good at kind of. I don't want to say exacerbating isn't the right word, but really, he's like an eighth grader 
with insults. So this is a John Mulaney, like John Mulaney says, <laughs> is that like eighth graders know exactly how to insult you and like yeah. really cut to your core. And Donald is the same way. I agree with that. I, I think the biggest thing is he sort of turned politics on its head when it came to money. Even though he has the most money of anyone, he made not having money cool somehow, even though he has the most money, or not having money in the traditional sense. Well, I think that he's appealing to... People that are worried about campaign finance. People that are worried about uh, donations coming from... Wall Street. Wall and Street and really influential people that are trying to but he is get something in return for their what's donation. What's so funny about that is they're so concerned about how New York bankers are going to affect the election when <laughs> really Donald Trump is a New York essential banker type real estate type. right but they want someone that's going to be doing it on their own terms i think so the question is so when this is done I, it's I, it's moving forward so say 20 2020 rolls around okay what do you think that the like the go-to strategy is to try and win you know who who whichever side do, isn't putting forth an incumbent how are they? How are those candidates going to go about trying to uh, I campaign? I think it's like, like you said, it's going to be more targeted. It's going to be more based on data and online advertising, where they can get more bang for their buck. And I, I think you're seeing that now. And I think it'll be more. I mean, it's scary for the TV industry, which I work for, that advertising is is hurting in this in this election. Do you think? Well, that it's not it hurting yet, but it's being shown it's not as effective as it once was. Maybe. Do you think? And I'll get to this. Do you think? that Jeb's campaign was more hurt by him or by the way Right to Rise spent his money? It was more hurt by him, which is, I think, I, I think people... I are, think that's the point we've kind of arrived and at. And I think people are overreacting to the idea that, oh, campaigns as they were once run are dead. No one... They're very... Like we said at the beginning, there's a handful of people that could do what Donald Trump did, both with his temperament and with his back, backing, and someone else like that might be entering the race which is Michael Bloomberg. Yeah. But the difference with Michael Bloomberg, and people are vastly overestimating how good he looks on paper, because Jeb looked that good on paper too. And he might have all that funding, all that backing, but if he's not dynamic, that's what this election has become an election of being dynamic. Bernie it really Sanders, has. Marco Rubio, Donald, Donald. Trump. And, I mean, yeah, because you look at someone like Hillary, and Hillary is essentially doing the exact same thing that Jeb did. Correct. Liter like, basically exactly the same, right? Establishment politics, which er which has already been shown, isn't nearly as effective this time around. Right. So what but, does that But what still, does that mean? given the right candidate, can be effective. And the right base and the right setup. It's a, And even you saw it with, with Trump, with uh, Ted Cruz, excuse me, in Iowa. Ted Cruz had an establishment set up in Iowa. He door knocked, he did, and it beat Trump in that very specific place. Trump, however, with his big rallies and Twitter and all of the media interviews that everyone turns it, tunes into, is <coughs> sets himself up to be much more scalable. In It'll a be interesting. My f my favorite website is Five Thirty Eight, which is run by a statistician named Nate Silver, and uh, I have mixed feelings personally. A guy named Harry Enton. It's an, it's an interesting site. It'll be. I think it's gonna. I be just I take what they say with a grain of salt. Always. I mean, I take uh, when it comes to politics, I take what anyone says with a grain of salt. Very true. And I think that they've done a really good job, though, of kind of stat casting the election and Correct. showing all, all these breakdowns. And I think that I think the next election cycle is going to be the one where you see something similar to how Sabermetrics have broken down baseball. I think you're going to see something 
really, really well, similar to that. And that's what we've been talking about. But that's about. what David Pluff and for Obama, if if people listening haven't read about David Pluff, Google him. Really, really interesting. Right. Guy. I just think it's going to become more open. I think it's going to become Agreed. more open. Uh, Agreed. I think that we're going to be able to look at it and see exactly how everyone is targeting everyone. So, But let me, let me give you an example. The first, the guy that tried to do that on the Republican side this time around, you haven't heard it. He, he was written about by Politico as the, the guy that figured out data for the Republicans. And I'm, not, I'm not, not worth saying his name, but basically he ended up as the main guy for Rand Paul. And it didn't work. I like Rand Paul. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> he might have been targeting millennials. I'm just, I'm just saying in general, something to consider. He might be back. He might be he back. Probably he probably will be. He's a guy that he's a really interesting guy. Um, basically, he doesn't watch Fox News. He lives in Austin, Texas. He's just a completely separate from the what you think of as the Republican establishment. Maybe trending towards a Rand Paul type. So it, it fits for him, but sort of interesting that that technique didn't work this time around. I think it'll be the next couple of cycles. I and think we're seeing the transition of it with the spending. Here's now. where I think that we can agree. I think that it's really important to do to align the right type of spending with the right candidate. I think that it Agreed. is all dependent the on brand. the... Exactly. It Branding is, is more important than ever. And Jeb was wildly misbranded. Incorrectly branded. Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's really where the problem uh, was with his campaign. I agree. And so, uh, with that, you want to move on to the final toast? I'm happy to move on to the final toast. All right, this is the final toast. All right, buddy, who are you toasting today? Pains me. Pains you. I'm toasting. Final toasting. Twenty nine major league baseball teams, including the St. Louis Cardinals. The Chicago Cubs re-signed Dexter Fowler this yeah. morning. Cubs Against all good. odds, they said they the, he was agreed to a deal with the Orioles. They are, in recent memory, the most top-down, complete dominant team I I can ever remember. Well, I I like the 2012 Phillies, the 2015 Nationals. You talk about these kind of like late 2000s Yankees we're talking about these super teams and thank you thank you for the Nationals getting a shout out they did not deserve they a shout out well they I mean situation. before the season started they were supposed to be one of these super teams all, all I'm gonna and say all I'm the gonna say Cubs are it's unbelievable what they've done but first hand experience from the Nationals injuries injuries different and, though because and they've got I mean they have seven starting pitchers they have we had six they had you guys did have six. I remember Tanner Roark missed the rotation. Yeah, later. I'm just. And I, but I'm not saying they're not. They're different. an amazing team on paper. They're that right now. Right now, we're not sure if they're going to be Jeb or they're going to be Trump. They're not going to be Jeb. You know, they know. may not necessarily be Trump, but they're not going to be Jeb. <laughs> Who are you toasting? My final toast is a little interesting. Also sports related. Steph Curry in the virtual world Ooh. throwing him a final toast. So sorry. The developers of 2K Basketball, which is a very popular basketball game, said there is no way for them to oh, I saw this. to create Steph Curry in a virtual world He's because too good. he makes no sense. They're like, everything we program for, you shouldn't dribble all the time and then take crazy shots. <laughs> That's all he does. That's all he does. And uh, So, Steph, I'm so sorry. Makes them all. You can't. You they see, can't, they can't a, program you. He had a 40-footer. 40, 40 He's last ridiculous. Night, yeah. he, he just takes shots at you. Like, it's like, oh, what are you? Oh. And then it swooshes. Yeah. And... Can I, and really quick point, being a bench player in the NBA would be the most fun thing in the world. Literally, your job Have is you seen the to go bench crazy in yeah, college. It's yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. All right, so that's, I think, going to do it for us. That was us. awesome. That was an awesome 
uh, was an awesome time here. We're going to record one last, I guess, extra schmear for Tuesday, which will come out Tuesday. And like we always say, we'll do better next week. And stay toasty out there. Schmear's the Deal is brought to you this week by Zucker's Bagels in Tribeca of New York City, with special thanks to Stephen Colbert and John Mullaney, and is produced by Jake Seawalk and Nick Feynman in association with Team Panther Productions. Please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, or for more information, please visit schmearsthedeal.com.